Hi, Fratessa. How are you doing tonight? Hello. I'm doing pretty good. Sleepy, but doing pretty good. <laughs> All right. And, and you're in Seattle, correct? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. okay. Yep. <laughs> I see that would be ironic because I immediately thought sleepless in Seattle. But yes, um, go ahead. <laughs> That's weird. I have a single red rose in, in a book and for this podcast. That's... That's a, I think that's that may, wait, that might be you got mail. Sorry. <laughs> You're listening to Boarding and Games, season three, episode two, where we talk with game designer and producer Fertissa Elise Scott about her experiences in game design, what she considers to be the core of game design, and some of her favorite gaming experiences. Join us as we continue to explore the world of tabletop gaming. Tom Hanks. Yeah. That's a beautiful mistake to make. Yes. I'm I'm already confused, but that's how this uh, this show goes. Um, so thank you so much for for being with us, uh, for Tessa, and um, and I know on some of your 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 stuff you go by Fertessa Elise, which is your middle mm-hmm. name. You yes. I think you said somewhere that that that's what you went by when you were younger, but now mm-hmm. you Fertessa. Um, but you're professionally, you go by Fertessa Scott. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. that's correct. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks thanks for being with us. You are a, a game designer for Funko Games. You also yes. successfully launched uh, Book of Villainy uh, mm-hmm. earlier this year. And right now you have already double-funded Wicked and Wise, which is awesome. And yes. then you have Mansplaining 2, which I am curious to hear more about. Mm-hmm. And... That sounds like a really great year for a game designer. Anything else you want to say about yourself? Um, other than what kind of, I, I do want to know what kind of dog you have. <laughs> I'll say that uh, for Funko, I am a game producer, but I do oh, also okay. uh, do game designing there. And as for my dog, she's a little Shih Tzu poodle. Her name is Bailey um, and she's four years old. She was born on Valentine's Day and she's the best. That's awesome. Cool. Um, I, I, I'm sorry I got that wrong on the no, uh, producer versus desire. I mean, I'm, that'd be a good thing to talk about right now real quick because um, mm-hmm. some people don't understand the difference between a, a designer and a producer. Mm-hmm. Um, could, could you share a little bit about that? Yeah. So um, game producer, at least at Funko, because the different companies will assign different roles to things. Um, But at at Funko, a game producer is more like the project manager. So uh, we will work together with a game designer to get a game made, um, keep it on its timeline to make sure that um, it comes out at the time that we need it, Um, make sure that it gets play tested with the right demographic of people, Um, make sure that it uh, goes through the ringer with the the rules and and make sure that those are are, easy to understand. Uh, we also have to uh, work with the artists and the illustrators, graphic designers to uh, make sure that everything gets made for um, the components. And then we also have to kind of pick the components that go into the game and, and stick to a certain budget. So um, you're managing um, working with different people as well as different things to uh, make sure that the project comes together. and. Um, you have the ability to flex into 
um, game design. So like for me, I do a hybrid of game producing as well as game design. Um, but my official role is as the producer. That sounds both fascinating and exhausting. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I think that's the thing sometimes, right, is that uh, some people think that game um, design and production is just all literally just all fun and games, but there's a lot mm -hmm. of work that goes into it, yeah. um, as you just shared. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of small things that I never imagined as a consumer looking at a game like if you make a die and you make a custom die is it, is it going to have a, a hot stamp on it or is it going to be engraved or what color is it going to be and how wh what's the weight of it you know things like that there's so many tiny details yeah and, and, and then you uh release that online and then everybody tells you that it should have been hot stamped instead of engraved <laughs> except for yeah I mean, with a company uh, as big as Funko, do you have to deal with uh, – Carla was pretty stressed out the last time we talked to her. Um, <laughs> do you have to deal with the same level of people complaining about, like, nitpicking everything like that? Like, um, No. That's no, awesome. Because <laughs> it – I mean, they're – are going to be so many different people with opinions. Not everyone's going to like a game and, and when come out with so many games. They're of course going to be uh, negative opinions, but I'd have to go searching for them um, as you know, whenever we create games, we create them as a team. So it's just going to be um, Prospero Hall in the back or Funko games, which um, we were formerly known as Prospero Hall. So right. when people are complaining, they are kind of, shooting it out towards the company in general, not a specific designer. Um, and, you know, we really don't go out there looking to say, oh, this person has a negative, whatever. That's, you know, they're entitled to do and feel how they want. And we just keep uh, moving forward, trying to make the best product that we can. I mean, that, that that's really nice to have that extra layer there. It, it, mm -hmm. I would imagine that gives you some creative freedom. Um, yeah. So, you're a creative person. Uh, just adding to the introduction of, of who you are here, I, I have one of your pictures on in my background. Uh, <laughs> you, you take photos. You've done uh, illustrations. You've done videos. Um, what for for somebody who's wanting in to get into game design? What would you recommend? I, I know you've written about this, talked about this elsewhere, um, but right now, what's on your mind when, when you think about being creative and continuing in, in that sort of, of career? Mm. So for game design, what I found so far is that there are so many different types of designers. I'm one that's um, very experience-based um, and I, I focus on the user experience more than the more technical aspects of how to create that, the game mechanics and the numbers. But I have met game designers who are very much numbers oriented, who can sit there and see the numbers floating in front of their face as they calculate how many probabilities and how somebody's going to min-max these different aspects of their game. Um, so if someone wanted to start with game design and, and they felt like a barrier was that they lacked creativity, I would say that that is not the only thing required for game design. And they would just probably want to approach it uh, mechanically first and then, you know, work in the creativity with the theme or with the core experience. 
Um, as long as you have a core that you're working towards and a, a gamer in experience in mind that you're working towards, then you can still create a game because maybe the person that is um, more mathematically minded, for them, the game that they want to make is going to be like a puzzle and they they want people to have the satisfaction of unlocking this puzzle, you know, and that would be maybe a cooperative game or something of that nature. And, and they could, you know, min max it and figure out how to make all these things pop off so that they just have this huge climax towards the end and, and creates this, this evolution of gameplay and, you know, things come together how they need to be. But then there could be the creative person who's just like, I want people to just be laughing. I want people to be having these big aha moments and I want them to happen in these big bursts. And they have to figure out how to, to get that reaction out of the people that are across the table from them. So they just have to push a bunch of buttons and see what that person does and say, oh, when I push this button, a lot of the times, this is the reaction that I'm looking for. So let me keep this in, throw the rest of that away. So it just really, um, you have to figure out what you're good at and lean into that no matter what it is. It doesn't just require creativity. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and, and you touched on something that, that you said a, a couple other places. <laughs> it's a, and I was really curious about this because uh, I, I had to write it down because I, I was like, I, I've never heard uh, another designer put it this way, but um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase and you tell me if I got this paraphrasing right, but yeah. you basically said that mechanics aren't essential to game design. The core of the game is though. Does that sound yeah. familiar? Yeah. Okay, can you talk a little bit more about that? Because that kind of, for, for a second, that, that would just kind of blew my mind away because uh, I've never heard a designer be like, no, you can throw away the mechanics as you're designing the game. <laughs> and, and that's, I mean, you, you kind of talked about that just now too, mm -hmm. but w would you describe that core a little bit more? Yeah, so when I was working on my first game, um, it was really important to me that I find the core of my game because I was also exploring the hobby itself um, as well as my first foray into game design. And I was overwhelmed with the amount of information that was coming at me, both in what I was learning and from all the feedback from different personalities and different people that I was encountering. And the thing that I found that would make me feel so lost is I would change the game, change um different aspects of it to try and fix or address whatever feedback I had gotten. But then at the end of the day, I did not recognize the game that I had left over. Yeah. Um, so to me, what I found was I needed to establish the identity of my game, the core of the game, um, which was who did I see playing this game? What was the ultimate experience that I was trying to work towards? Um, and then you know, rearrange the game to create that so that, you know, regardless of what mechanics I used to get there, um, it was still the game that I envisioned. Um, and my first game, Book of Villainy, I, I just had a very, <laughs> a very good lesson about how to establish that identity and, and, and figure out, you know, what I was protecting while still like figuring out what I could throw away. Um, and, and so that's what I meant. It's, 
you're, you're going to use so many different mechanics, but sometimes you introduce mechanics to fix a thing and don't even realize why it's there a couple of iterations later. You just keep it in there and you think, oh, it works. It makes sense that it's there, but it's not a part that makes the game essential. It's not something that is um, essential to the core or the identity of your game. Um, and I've seen a lot of uh, fellow designers who start to struggle because they're just like, no, this mechanic is the core of my game. This is like, if I take this away, what am I even doing? And um, that's not necessarily what they were making the game around. Like that's sometimes the mechanics that were chosen were different from um, what they wanted the end game to do. It's just mm -hmm. like you you've explained that your game is supposed to be worker placement and you're doing this and that. But that completely goes against the spirit of the game that you kind of pitched to us whenever we started to play the game. So that's why. And and for me, it's a priority because I'm an experience based designer and not a mechanic based designer. That's why uh, prioritizing the identity of the game and um, what I envision once the game is a finished product is more important than the mechanics. Yeah. That's fantastic. I, I mean, I, I think, I think a lot of people, <laughs> if they can hear that, cause it, it is, it is very different to have that approach. If they can hear that, that would help a lot of people out with their game design. Um, I, I, uh, I, I've participated in play testing, I don't know, a number of times. And sometimes people just get so into that thing that is, ancillary it's not it's not core like like you're saying and um so that i, I just think that you've put, put that really well and, and explained the user experience really well as it relates to uh game design um so let's go ahead and, and jump to wicked and wise now um <laughs> because i know ryan is excited we, we, we talked about um he and his wife play a lot of card games together he, he's excited about uh, checking that game out. Um, how did you? What, what's the core of that game? What do you want to say about that game? What What are you? What experience are you hoping uh, players to get out of that game when they finally get it in their hands? Yeah. So the core of Wicked and Wise was having to collaborate with a teammate in order to move towards a goal while having um, an independent role. That was um, what really inspired. Um, the first spark of idea for this game, um, because initially I was thinking about um, what cooperative game I would make so that I could enjoy the genre, because it's no secret, I'm not big on cooperative games. Yeah. So I was thinking, you know, if I could make a cooperative game, like what what elements do I enjoy and how would I make that into something? And um I, I came up with the game of spades because I absolutely love playing spades. And that's um, a, a traditional trick taker card game um, that you play with a regular 52 card deck. Um, I'm from the South. So this was like a rite of passage. You would grow up playing spades or at least know people who played spades. We played it in school. Um, I've had my Spanish teacher disown me on an airplane while we played spades <laughs> on our way to Spain. Um <laughs> To this day, I regret playing the wrong card. Um, but Spades, uh, to me, was such a good example of collaboration because I was I was turning over in my mind that I don't I don't dislike working with other people. I just liked 
the way that certain games would have you work with other people where everybody has the same information and everyone is trying to um, essentially process a puzzle at the same time. But the thing is, people's brains work differently. So if you have one puzzle and four different people trying to process it, the people who process it faster are the ones solving it, um, which I'm the one that processes slower. So I don't get much out of uh, cooperative games that you know, the objective is solve the puzzle. So yeah. a cooperative game where you have limited information and I have a role that nobody else is going to touch. And this this is uh, these cards are in my hand and, you know, I can process it at my own speed and make decisions that are hopefully for the betterment of the team was super appealing to me. So that got me started with making Wicked and Wise um, and what became the core of the game. I'm also a uh, big fan of spades and uh, my wife and I have trounced many people as a pair. <laughs> so That's beautiful. Yes. And the trash talk from spades is, mm. it's just, it's something of a work of art because you could, you could <laughs> be the most trash player. Like I'm not saying that I win every game, but I'm telling you that I don't care if I'm playing a three of clubs. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to pop mm. it down in front of you. And you're thinking that I am popping down a spade to win the game. Like <laughs> it is something that is big moments. It creates storytelling. It, it, you know, the thing that happened two two different games ago, you're still talking about it and it rolls into the next game. Like I love how much that happens within spades. And on, on top of that, it's something that my non-gamer friends will play. And it also made me start thinking like people who don't consider themselves gamers are gamers. Like when you think about spades, if you're familiar with it, it's actually a very complex game. There is a lot going on. There's bidding, um, there's bluffing, uh, there's trick taking. There's just different layers of all these things that people who don't call themselves gamers can just do and will easily pick up and sit down for two hours to do something when they would find that intolerable with other board games. So that was also very intriguing to me um, to explore as a genre. It's like, why is that? Is there a way to break that barrier again? Um, I don't know how to play spades. <laughs> so I'm kind of lost here. <laughs> but no. I'm so sorry. Fun. Um, I mean, I, I have played, I mean, I've played trick taking, lots, lots of trick taking games. I, I enjoy them. I did. I didn't mm -hmm. used to think I did. Um, mm -hmm. But it was actually board games that brought me back around two card games. Uh, and and I, th I think you're, I, I think the, the assessment, oh, I, I got to take your word for it. Um, <laughs> the, the assessment is, is likely true that it, there's probably a lot more going on there than some board gamers yeah. give credit to Spades for. Um, spades, is a, spades is a great game. Oh, go ahead, Brian. I was, uh, spades is a, Spades is a great, like a great game. I still like, I played spades growing up, like high school and college with my brother. And I always got paired with the person who didn't know how to play spades. <laughs> and uh, my brother never wanted to be on my team. And one day me and my wife were friends at the time she came over and we would play together. And I was never on her team either. When I played with her, I was always paired with the person who didn't know how to play. And uh, we played together and my brother was like, just salty, just angry. I don't think he's ever played spades with me again. I mean, it was just, 
it was brutal. And I always lost, but I always was paired. And that's mm-hmm. the problem. But that's the problem with spades and some of those mm-hmm. games is like no table talk, mm-hmm. you know. But then, like, if you know your partner, mm-hmm. like you know how people play, then you can kind of then it, then it is. And, and I'm I'm excited about Wicked and Wise because I saw it and I was like, this seems kind of inspired by Spades. So, <laughs> well, there you go. Yep. Um, so I, no, I was just going to ask real quick: Have either of you played Tishu or the Crew? I have not gotten to play either, and I really, oh. really want to try um, the Crew, but I have not. Well, pandemic, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's on the list. <laughs> Oh, okay. I, I just wondered because I mean they both have that that trick taking and, and a partner that you can't communicate. That's so mm-hmm. I, I didn't. What I was going to ask is, would I be able to learn spades? I'm sure I could easy enough, mm-hmm. having played those and enjoyed those. Um, yeah. It, 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 and that's what I was going to say. It, it's really funny to come back around to games that way. But it, okay, so mm-hmm. with your family, does your family? play your games have they played modern board games because that's how you got introduced to, to gaming mm-hmm. right as you played games growing up um do, have they played your games though yes um well i will say that my mom has played book of villainy and she has played mansplaining just a little bit um but i never had like the fancy prototype whenever we were around because my mom lives in a totally different state she's in texas um so it's kind of the you know if i have enough room in my bag can i bring the prototype and and sort of thing she wants to play um but she's familiar with um say spades and and um she isn't as as familiar with modern board games. Uh, whenever I was younger, we again played the um, more mainstream games, Monopoly, Risk. Well, she didn't play Risk. <laughs> that was me and my friends. But she played Boggle. She likes word games. And oh, okay. um, for modern games, I'm I'm slowly trying to introduce her. She really loves Quirkle. Um, she was listening to one of the uh, streams I was on and somebody talked about Quirkle and she's like, oh, that sounds cute. I'm going to get it. And she got it and uh, we played it at Christmas and she just loves it. Um, I taught her Arboretum. She's she's neutral. She she grokked it, but she was just like, mm, maybe that's a little bit heavier than she wants to do at the end of a long work day yeah. uh, where she's on her feet all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really enjoyed Splendor. She beat me. Oh. She beat me at Splendor, and I resented. And I'm gonna play her again. Uh, we played Splendor probably two, three times. So we're. I'm introducing her to modern games, and as far as my games, I'm trying to once uh, the the stars align, and I am able to. Hi, hi, hi for Tessa's mom. Because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> yeah. I mean that's always awesome when you have a supportive parent, and, and mm-hmm. yeah, that 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 helps so much. Um, so, what, what what was her feedback on, on Book of Villainy? Did did she give you like anything interesting other than like, oh, I'm so glad that you made this? <laughs> no, it's just the general. You know, I'm proud of you, and uh, this is really cute. And then you know, I'm telling everybody. You know, usually you can pick up the phone. She's like, I was talking in the clinic today, and I was telling people about Book of Villainy, and they said they wanted to go ahead and get a copy. And oh, you should reach out to such and so about Book of Villainy. <laughs> so it's just really more of that. <laughs> she'll she'll talk of the game. She's gonna 
take mansplaining to her company retreat and play that with them. And um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so tell us, tell us white guys who don't need to talk uh, about <laughs> mansplaining. <laughs> so mansplaining is a party game I co-designed with Mondo Davis and who's another Atlanta designer. And um, it is a game where you have 60 seconds to explain how to do a thing um, while inserting four random detail words. So for example, you pull the topic card, how to tie a shoe. And your four random words are astronaut, charcuterie, um, pineapple, and uh, vivacious. So you have 60 seconds to insert those words without people realizing that that is not <laughs> not your your four random words. Um, and at the end of your 60 uh, second mansplanation, your audience is trying to guess what your topic is, as well as those four words. You get points if you manage to insert all those words and if someone guesses your topic, but they get points for guessing all four. So you, you want them to guess your topic. You do not want them to guess those four random words. This game sounds perfect for someone like me, a mansplainer. <laughs> yes, it is quite fun. Uh, it, it, it's, it's very much, you have to um, really let yourself go. Some people will be like, I don't know what these words mean. I was like, that means you're mansplaining properly. Um, just go with it. You don't know how it's pronounced. That's okay. They don't either. It's just go. Oh, that's quite fun. I just have to ask, do you guys know where mansplainers get their water? I knew this answer. Well, actually, from a well, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, (laughs) so this is for Tessa. I'm going to let her finish out the rest of the show. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Jokes. Uh, like what? What am I supposed to say now? Um, <laughs> the, this, the, wait, vivaciously tell me. See, I there's so many times we have emails that I have to like Google words. Like I have to look up words, and then I try to use them in the podcast, and then I'm like, <sighs> yes, Christopher, vivaciously uh, ask questions. Is that that's kind of uh, mm-hmm. I, I know what vivacious. That I, I probably know what vivaciously means. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Christopher is getting very red. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hot in here. My lights are too hot. You sat in here, Ryan. Yeah. My lights are too hot. Um, anyway, <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm going to go with. My lights are too hot. Um, so, <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like your mom is going to have no problem sharing that game with, with lots of people because yes. that sounds like a lot of fun too. Um, I, I mean, that, that, that seems going back to the other word, that seems to be a, a core element for for your user experience. It is like just traditional fun of like laughter and mm-hmm. sharing the, those types of bonding experiences. That that seems to be what you are sharing in your games more than anything else yeah. is like, um, how can we come together? Uh, which is, all, I mean, is that a fair assessment? Oh, absolutely. I, I grew up as an only child, so and also very socially awkward. Um, so the way that I could most easily break that barrier was through playing games. And my best memories with my friends and with my family was whenever I sat down and played games, like life lessons that I got from my granddad and from my parents with um, teaching me good sportsmanship and not cheating. And they saw what I was doing when they were teaching me checkers and 
Um, like I, I got so much um, interaction with people that I loved over games. And even in high school, I remember when we were playing Yu-Gi-Oh and we would just stop each other in the hallways. Like it's time to and then we just do these dramatic things and do all these weird things that we just accepted in the moment it was a part of the game like it wasn't just about the game it wasn't about the strategy it was about the drama of the game and this this extra layer that we had added on and so making a game where you can just add an extra layer where you're so into it and it's more about the moment that the games creates the game creates um, is something that I really aspire towards. Wicked and Wise uh, still has uh, the ability to leave people feeling um, salty, though, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am still feeling the salt because I actually just played it with um, uh, another um, streamer, uh, Brain in a Jar. Her name's Casey yeah. and her partner, Miguel. Uh, we, we had a game night last night and played and I was, I had gotten comfortable. I was sitting on my laurels. I was just like, I, I've got all these coins. My dragon's pretty happy. I'm good, but it's their learning game. It's totally okay. And then at the very last round, we counted the coins and they won by two coins, by two coins. I just literally tossed and turned over that. Hence why you're tired today. I get it. <laughs> yes. I get it. <laughs> Um, I mean, do you, do you have other favorite gaming experiences out of games that aren't your game? <laughs> um, well, as always, I, I mentioned Splendor. My mom enjoys it, but that is something that I, I quite enjoy. Um, and as far as like big, big moments, let's see, let's see. Catan. Yes. <laughs> so Catan, um, I've had my friends decide that they will not play Catan with me because they felt that I was a little too antagonistic because maybe I didn't want to trade and maybe I monopolized certain resources. And I think that's unfair. I think I was playing the game, but. Um, yeah, 100%. That's how Catan's <laughs> played. Don't trade. So um, Catan and the mind, the mind had oh. so many big moments um, it was uh, one of those ones where I got all my non-gaming friends to play it. And even the ones that were watching on the side got into it because the premise is so simple and that you're trying to get these in order, but you can't talk. And so we're all silently looking at each other like, don't you do it. Don't you do it. And then like a person that is slowly inching the card because the object is to put your cards in ascending order from low to high. You can't right. talk and you don't know what's in each other's hands. And people have never played the game before. They're sitting there with like a, a 16 and mm -hmm. they're hesitating to put their card down thinking, you know, clearly other people are going to put cards down in front of me and they're just waiting. And you're just like, do they have a 50 in their hands? Do they have an 80? Um, and, and like, it doesn't click in their brain that there's 100 cards and 16 may very well be the lowest number. And so you just have this tension. And when someone finally puts down their card and it's like a 30 and then the, the person that was holding on to the seven is like, oh man, ah, oh, she has gone. It's like, what's wrong with you? Why? It's single digits. 
Um, so yeah, it, it creates such big fun moments and it's so hilarious and it's easy to, to go through a round and somebody else to jump in. So the mine is absolutely a favorite. I, I think that's a great one to bring up because there was a, a little bit of discussion at some point. And like the, 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 the word gamer is a word, weird word anyway. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And, um, for a little while, there, there was discussion about like, is the mind just an activity or is it a game? But I think mm-hmm. without pointing at a specific definition, you just shared your definition of a game. And that is, it's something about this experience that brings us together as we play. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, I kind of, I don't know. And I'm, I'm, of course, putting words in your mouth <laughs> by doing that. But but this is just me hearing you talk about it. And I'm like, that. I, I much more agree with that because in general, I mean, this last week I um, was sharing card games and ran a really tiny pool. But yeah. um, some people don't think card games are, are board games. And, I, and all those definitions are weird to yeah. me. Um, but I, I think what you're just sharing about bringing people together in a way where they're having fun, they're sharing an experience. I think that that's what gaming should be all about. So... How would you like to see the world of, we generally refer to it just as like tabletop gaming, anything that you can play on top of a table. How yeah. do you like to see that world grow in the next few years? I would like it to be, um, as you mentioned, more inclusive and, and change the boundaries of what is considered a game. Because I remember the first year that I really got into the hobby, the one of the biggest things or challenges that I had was finding out the definition of things, uh, finding out what a worker placement was or what you even called traditional card games. Like I, I would constantly ask, like, what what does spades count as until someone finally said, oh, trick taking, baby, or just card game. Um, and, you know, there there are so many nuances to how we define things, but then there are other things that just kind of get put to the side. And at the same time, that puts a whole demographic of people to the side um, mm-hmm. because, you know, just because people don't necessarily entertain modern board games, but, you know, they they entertain games. There's no reason for that separation. People, you know look down on games like Monopoly and, and however you feel about Monopoly, that is still peop, a lot of people's introduction to board games. Um, yeah. For me, Monopoly was so huge because that was my first, um, I, I wouldn't say solo game, but that was the game that I had the most access to. It was the game that came on PlayStation that I could play over and over again. And when my friends refused to play and decided, hey, we'd rather actually enjoy the birthday party, I would finish out the entire, you know, Monopoly game. And it was just, it was the game that was there for me when I was especially flowering in my social awkwardness. So like, I feel like there is this easy tendency to um, kind of brush off these, these opening games or, Um, the games that you see in the stores or the card games, but those games are accessible. There are so many people that play card games like Spades and Solitaire and and, uh, Pit-A-Pat and Rummy because they are a 52 card deck and you can buy that one card deck for what, three bucks. And then you have a world of games available to you. That's the only game that you need. Um, And, you know, 
that's what you can find in a lot of households. But, you know, a lot it's it's a luxury to be able to afford a $50 board game um, and, and, and to also have the time after work to read through the rules and, and then have to teach it to somebody else new who has that amount of time rather than like a game that is already accepted or known in, in multiple households of friends that you have. So really just, I would love to see the lowering of the barrier to entry and the inclusion of um, all games, regardless of how you may feel um, in terms of complexity or, um, you know, just how modern they may or may not be. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 uh, I like that. Um, uh, Ryan, I did a, you go ahead? I was just going to have a bad take on Christopher's um, thing about games and what makes a game. If role playing games are, you know, if you do a diceless role playing game, it's still a game. Is our improv groups just role players? So does that make improv? an rpg i think it's a larp oh and god I, I think a lot of party games also lean on improv so i i absolutely think <laughs> my my introduction to gaming was larp so at like 12 and it wasn't like a boffing or medieval fantasy it was vampire edgy late 90s awesome. we're, we're we're trying to avoid like Technical uh, jargon, and, and so what? What is boffing, Ryan? What? Oh, that's when that's what um, somebody's brother-in-law used to do. That that's where you have the big foam swords and you hit people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. a that's the that's a, a a type of larping, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I don't know. I like to you know everything's ravioli. That one's a new phrase to me. Yeah, what does that mean, Ryan? I just everything everything's encased in bread, you know? Like it's everything's just ravioli. It's not a sandwich. It's just, you know. Like it's <laughs> so, a soup, so salad, or ravioli, okay? Is, Cereal. Are, are you saying like a, a taco is a sandwich, a hot dog is a sandwich type yeah, of thing? But okay. it's ravioli. Now, on that note, for Tessa, is a hot dog a sandwich? It's an open face sandwich. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> is is cereal soup um like a cold soup like a gazpacho what i worked at a restaurant sold those don't know how don't know what they are gazpacho i would consider <laughs> i would i would consider it acceptable to call it a soup i would not call it a soup but i would not <laughs> fight someone I would, over it. <laughs> i would not fight somebody who calls it a soup um <laughs> So anyway, I mean, I'm fine. I, I don't know about. I'm not going to answer for her. Tessa. I'll let her. But I'll answer your question, right? I'm fine calling LARPing and even improv. I, I think gaming is about bringing people together and sharing experiences. I, I, I that that's what it's about. It's about the human condition for me. Um, and I, I think it focuses on the human condition. So I'm I'm going to try not to get technical here either but I, th I think it focuses on the human condition in a unique way in that it is the one that brings about fun as we play that's what i think gaming is i think gaming for me is engagement just being engaged present too i found recently that the only time i'm actually kind of present in life is when i'm gaming and i think oh. that's why i've liked gaming so much through my life because it's those moments have centered me Instead of, you know, you know, 
stuff. <laughs> Therapy podcast. Wow, we we went <laughs> home deep fast. So for Tessa, what is gaming to you? <laughs> I absolutely agree with those. Gaming is um, being engaged and interacting and creating moments with other people. And and that's not to say that it can't be more than that. But for me, um, the the part the part of gaming that's important is that social interaction and that ability to play with other people. Um, not necessarily the the strategy needed, or or even if a strategy is needed. But um, there are so many definitions of a game, and I think that um, that if you are able to actually let go of your internal norms in order to engage in a a fun way with somebody else, then I think that's a game. Hmm. We're we're just all deep here today, I guess, or at least you two are. Um, (laughs) Wow. Christopher, shallow as ever. (laughs) (laughs) Kidding. Um, I'll take it. Are, are we playing spades now? Is that what's happening? You're, you're throwing you some shade my way. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, just my my last um, question for you is uh, for Tessa, and then you can share whatever you want to, and, uh, and, we'll, and we'll respect your time. But if a villain forced you to play a co-op game that lasted more than thirty minutes, what game is it going to be? That is an evil person. Oh, man. Uh, a live action escape room, probably. <laughs> okay. I think a true villain would probably go all out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, is there a, a theme or setting to this escape room? Huh. Let's see. Oh my goodness. Theme is the theme is oh you're stuck in the humid swamp. You're stuck in a humid swamp and there's no AC and it's just you <laughs> and a bunch of strangers and you must escape and you are the person that knows how to solve the puzzle but that means that you have to talk out loud to strangers and get them to listen to you. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so for those listening we charge 175 dollars an hour for therapy um <clears throat> that, that's what's going on here right now. all right uh, so yeah anything else you want to say about wicked and wise it, it's going on right now uh when, when does the campaign end do you know if you don't it's okay i'll, I'll throw it on on here i'm, I'm gonna try that it ends 18 days from now and if anyone wants to math that i feel like that's gonna be like september 8th or 9th or something like that but 18 days from now and um as far as anything else to say uh just a little bit more about wicked and wise it's an asymmetrical um team trick taking game so um you are partnered with somebody else and uh one role is in charge of the trick taking the other role is in charge of stacking their partner's hands with better cards that they don't have access to at the beginning of the game they're also in charge of making the money because dragons love what gold um so you 
your dragon and the mouse are working together to get the most gold by the end of the game. Um, if you're familiar with trick taking, usually you have bids at the beginning of the round. In this game, you have goals, team goals that you're aspiring to reach, um, such as maybe you want to win exactly two tricks, or maybe you want to make sure that when you win tricks, you get a certain suit stacked in there. Um, if you win your goals, all the more gold that you get. And if you lose your goals, that cuts into your coins. Um, it plays two to six. You may say, how can you play a team-based game with two players? Well, actually, you go head-to-head -head where you're both dragons and you share an open mouse hand. Um, and that gets entirely different when it comes to the strategy because then you're trying to figure out what cards you make sure are available um, to force the other player to play something because they have to play on suit. Or, you know, maybe you're, you're making sure to snap up a good card before the other player can play it. So um, depending on the player count, it can change uh, entirely, even though the core will stay the same. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, whether you like trick-taking trick or you don't, then I hope that you check it out. Um, and it was also illustrated by the wonderfully talented Beth Sobel. So they're pretty cards to look at as, as the cherry on top. And thank you for listening. It, it sounds uh, like a lot of fun. The, the I love a good two-player uh, card game where you have some uh, tug-of-war stuff going on. Because I mean, maybe that's probably maybe not quite the correct term, but it sounds like you're doing some balancing act stuff mm -hmm. in the yes. two-player version. In that open yeah. hand, is it a kind of tempo control where you're um, trying to dictate what they're forced into through um, what suit they have to follow or... or yep. Man, yeah. So I'm gonna exactly. back that like in ten minutes. I was I was gonna back it last week, but I was doing some stuff. I was busy. I had bad internet mm -hmm. connection, so and I was like, I got time. But um, <laughs> no, that's like that's like right up our household's alley. Um, but we usually just play two players because I haven't played with like more than two players in a month. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I I love that, and um, yeah, two player. It's, it's definitely interesting because you, you're playing the dual role. So we usually want you to learn a floor player because you're learning two different roles and they're asymmetric. But once you get in there, like the amount of things that you can think of, like it seems very simple, but the a way that you can set up the other player while keeping in mind what you can do um, can totally twist you around. And I find that it's, it's really fun. So um, I think that definitely if you enjoy playing the two player mode um, that this, this will resonate with you. So thank I, you. Have you played two player spades, two hand spades? I have not. Okay. <laughs> so this is a variant. Um, sorry. Yeah. Podcast no, 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 isn't no. over, Christopher. <laughs> no, 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 let, me, let me just ask this real quick, and, and, and yeah, then go, yeah. go into that. Is so? Is there an official uh, like tabletop simulator or something else that people could try before the yes. Kickstarter's over? Oh yes, it's on tabletop simulator. Okay. Um, look up Wicked and Wise. Um, the workshop should be up there, and I will also be streaming how to play tomorrow with Benita K. Um, on Twitch. And uh, if you check out on the Kickstarter, it should announce whenever I'm doing any other live streams. There's also some good how to plays if you want to see how that works. Um, also on my Twitter uh, at Fertessa, I'll also be announcing whenever I do any of that. But okay. yes, it is cool, digitally cool. available on tabletop. Um, I mean, I already backed and then my FLGS already backed too, uh, for the local game store backed too. Oh, so awesome. um, thank you. But Go ahead and talk spades. Oh, it's just, you just draw. 
it's it's great. Okay, because yeah. you, you draw two, pick mm-hmm. one, discard the other one. Each player does that, so you each have thirteen cards, and then yeah. twenty six cards are missing from the deck. Yeah. And so then, uh, Trump, you, you then you just play, but you don't mm-hmm. know what the twenty six cards are missing from the deck. Mm-hmm. So it's like not as it's not as good as spades, but like yeah. if it's just like you and your significant other, yeah. Or you're camping or something or whatever, yeah. you know. That's something I play. Anyway, sorry. I'm gonna I, like, I get ex- oh, excited you. for spades, Christopher. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know? Nothing wrong with that. You you could be talking about. I don't know. You could be talking about heavy metals and <laughs> how they poison our bodies, and and I'd just be saying okay. If it's I, I'm, I'm not a chemist and I'm not a spade player. That's if all. it's built before 1974, it has lead paint on it. Okay. Okay. All right. So thank you so much for Tessa for putting up with our shenanigans. Um, I, I am, I used to not like party games, mm-hmm. but I realized party games are a lot of fun and hearing about that one. I'm really excited to, to play that one too. Um, but Obviously, promoting what you're currently doing, <laughs> Wicked and Wise on on Kickstarter till uh, first uh, September eighth. You said September. Yeah, 9th? September eighth ish. Yes. Okay, yes. September eighth ish, uh, and mm-hmm. hopefully we'll have this uh, podcast out tomorrow before you do your live stream. If not, you can find uh, Benita K on, on Twitch later on. She's got a, a Twitch where she plays lots of fun games with lots of cool people like Fortessa. So, thanks again. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, it was fun to have you here. Brian, do you want to say anything else? Uh, goodbye for Tessa. Goodbye for <laughs> Tessa's mother. <laughs> goodbye. Oh, because that's the thing, the right? Book. It's only you and your mother that have, as far as you know, in the whole world, the name for Tessa, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. Yep. Oh, your mom's that name too? Uh, oh, I just <laughs> knew your mom was going to listen to the podcast, so I was saying hello and goodbye. I didn't know she had... Oh. Yes. My first name, her middle name. So that that is how I inherited such such a, a beautiful uh unique name <laughs> i like it thank, thank you. you so much we appreciate your time thank, <laughs> Good you. Luck. thank you very much <laughs>